as Philippines, we'll give our minds to the section we read there in chapter 2 for a short time. Philippines has been a book that was written with Paul encouraging them to work in partnership with one another for the good of the gospel. He's pleading with them to work together, to show compassion to one another, and to ultimately find our encouragement in Christ. Prior to what we read, it, it, you can see if you have the ESV Bible, it titles that section, Christ's Example of Humility. And through there it says, maybe the most notable verse that we have within our memories is, is verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. One, one of not doing things from selfish ambition there in verse 3. Out of humility, counting others more significant than ourselves. All these attributes that we find in Christ are our example to follow in our working together to build up one another and to build up the church of Christ. And in this section here, we have that therefore at the beginning, which immediately points us back to what Paul is saying and that example that we have in Christ. Because of what Christ has done, he says, therefore, look at Christ first. And then, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, as he talks to the people, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And in this, what comes through is the character that is built within the people of Christ. The character that is formed by the work of Christ in their hearts. Paul says, set your mind, pretty much, set your mind on the things of Christ. Look to Christ. Therefore, then you will be shaped by all that he has done and should be shaped by the character and example that he leaves for us. And the character here, from verse 12 through, it's a character that will be defined by certain things. It says there, as you have always obeyed. The people had an obedience. That was what defined them as a people of God. They were an obedience. And it wasn't to Paul, it wasn't to any man, as it says. Much more in my absence. They didn't do it for the admiration of man. They did it because of their heart to Christ. It's like the conscience, when, it, when it's awakened by God, it has that heart desire to obey what Christ teaches us, what God says to us. As that working within us draws us to obedience. As Spurgeon says that believing and obedience, they, they run side by side. You cannot separate believing and obedience. And we take these things from within our hearts. And if, and if we do not listen to it and obey what it speaks to us, then what, what is our belief without obeying 
what we are told to believe. And do we believe? Do we obey what we are told? What is said before us in the word of God? What God wants us to do? Are we being obedient to what he speaks to us? To do what God asks of us? Paul says and continues on in saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not that we contribute to our salvation by our working, or we can work out our salvation by work. But work out is maybe better understood as outworking. The outworking of the salvation within us. It defines us. What is in us and comes out of us defines who we are as Christians and our character. It's like we're defined by that salvation that is in us, that has worked within us. A salvation that draws us to obedience, things that run side by side. But so also when we are obedient to God and we do the things that are asked of us. We outwork that salvation that is born within us. As we outwork our obedience, in a sense, that itself defines us even more by who we are and what we do and the character of the Christian. And it's like that character is built up step by step Character is like embroidery made stitch by stitch, it is said. It's that building upon the work that is within us. And we do that, and we do have that obedience because there's a reverence there to God. What he has done for us, what Christ has done for us. So reverence, fear and trembling, what has been asked of us. That we would fulfill the work that Christ has for us. And that salvation that works in us comes out in what we do. And it may be different for us. We may have different work. God has work for all his people. We are not called to be idle people. And this can vary greatly from person to person. We're not all called to the same tasks. Obedience is not always doing what we want either. Very rarely, even in our own lives, that someone would ask us to do something and we're glad. That, that's what he asked us to do. It's like, oh yeah, that's good that he asked me to do this. Whereas usually the case is we're told to do something and we just do it out of obedience. If it's an employer or parent or elder or whoever it is. Obedience is, in this case, trusting and having faith in what is asked of us. What this voice of God speaks to us. Even when every fiber of our being is maybe trying to suppress that voice of what has been asked of us. But that salvation from that is worked within us 
maybe we fight against it. Maybe we kick against it in a sense because we're not comfortable with what has been asked of us. Because to be obedient to what God asks us, it, 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 calls us, it calls to affect every part of us. Our whole life, our speech, our manner, our attitudes, our work, what we devote our time to. Are we being obedient to what has been asked of us? Maybe we doubt the possibility. Why would God ask that of me? How can I do that? Maybe we present an image to, to us that I would say help me in my doubts. That and may help you in your doubts. But we can so often as, as a child, it's not limited to childhood, it goes into adulthood as well. But we, we do things we shouldn't do. And then if we're caught or a parent would come and say, why did you do that? We would point and say, well, he told me to do it. And it, it essentially takes us back to the, the Garden of Eden where the blame is passed on to another. And he says, well, well, he told me to do it. And yet it's something that we find ourselves doing so easily. When a poor voice tells us to do something that we know is wrong, and yet we find ourselves doing it. Whereas on the flip side, when it is God that asks us of something to do, something good, Something hard, most likely. And yet, we don't do it. What, what would it mean for you, having been directed to something, or having something to be obedient to, whatever it is, I don't know. And yet, we... It's so clear to you, and yet you kind of kick against it because you're not sure if you can fulfill what you what is asked of you. And yet, what do you what 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 would we say when we stand before Christ? And he's he says to me, he says to you or to me that it was me that told you to do it. Uh, it wasn't a poor voice that you a poor voice that you so easily listen to and would do to bring you into things that were not good for you. You listen to them voices, but when, when, when I spoke to you from my word with all assurance to do what I asked you to do, and yet you did not do it. You were not obedient. I couldn't imagine myself standing before Christ, having the direction that I had and to kick against it when he would ask and say to me that I gave you encouragement, every encouragement to do what I asked you to do and I told you to do. But you listened to a purer voice which could often be our own voice because I cannot do it. Calvin says on that, that 
nothing is more fatal to us than to refuse to give ourselves in obedience to God. Nothing is more fatal to us than to refuse to give ourselves in obedience to God. Because then, if we don't have the obedience, where is our belief? Where is our faith in the one who asks us? But Paul says and goes on to say, it is God who works in you. It's almost as if the doubts that you have, put them to the side. I know you have doubts, but it is God who works in you. It is God that does that work of redefining you. Who, In the beginning, he redefines you as a Christian within you. God is at work in your heart. But so he continues to define you clearly and with more clarity, step by step, stitch by stitch, in that almost sanctifying nature as we become more Christ-like in obedience. It is God who works in you. And there we have confidence. Not in ourselves, but in the one that works within us. And see what obedience brings there. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You ask yourself, can we please God? Well, we can. If we obey him. And we listen to him. We obey his will and do his work. For his good pleasure. Pleasing to God. And it almost puts before you the idea. Being obedient to God. Is pleasing to God. And yet. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As we glorify God in what we do and that outworking of our salvation and being obedient and giving him, it is glorifying God in what we're doing. And yet we ourselves have enjoyment in God because of these things also. It's an interesting comparison to make. But there's other marks that distinguish, uh, define and distinguish the people of God. They do all things without grumbling or disputing. Well, that's a challenge to us all. We also find it so natural to do these, to do grumble and dispute things. But he's saying, don't do all things without that. It's like, if you think about grumbling and disputing, it puts like a layer of, negativity into things it's it's like this under hidden layer that just does not help and pauses it does you no good to be grumbling and disputing with one another or at things that are happening within the church paul's calling them to partnership together to work together for the glorifying of god's name just do not do things without grumbling or disputing. 
blameless and innocent. There's high standards being spoken of here that is asked of the Christian's character. We should be blameless and innocent. Without blemish in a twisted, crooked generation. In a twisted and crooked generation. We're not separated from the twisted and crooked generation. We live, we live within them. And I'll give you an example of that in a wee minute. And you know, sometimes it's hard to live within, the, to be this character within the twisted and crooked generation, as it were. To be this light in the darkness, to shine. You know, sometimes people can spot that you are different. There's a distinguishing feature about you. And they can ask, even if they don't know anything about Christ, they can say to you, well, you don't swear like we do. You, you, don't, you don't drink like we do. You don't take drugs like we do. You don't have relations with other people like we do. You are distinguished from us. In many ways, it can be quite clear how we're distinguished. Even if they don't know about Christianity, they spot the working of salvation within them coming out of you, even in these small things. Other times people don't pick up on it. And this, and that's far hard, that's way harder. When you're a Christian living within the twisted and crooked generation, people do not pick up that you're a Christian. And, and they're expecting the same things of you, to be living as they live almost to be as the same family as they are. And you've got to, we've got to tell them who we are. It's hard. And, and we've, he says to be lights in this world and to shine. It's not just to be our light, but to shine, to let people know who we are without being ashamed to give out the light of Christ that has been worked within me. Do we not, if we put off telling people, it just makes it harder. And actually, you know, we may spend time with people two, three, four, five times and then tell them. And it, it, it doesn't do any good because they, they don't, they would prefer to know who you are. And they maybe feel ashamed of the things that they've said. And it's far better just to be that light that Paul tells us to be, to shine amongst people. But to plug in, he says, to be lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. That we continue to have that illuminating effect in a sense by the word that we read, by the word of life that we come to you every day and encourages us and prepares us and strengthens us and we find strength from that word of life that gives us life that we are a people that hold on to it don't let go of it i want to read just in conclusion something that we had to read for college i thought it was it was it was Encouraging. 
It's one of the first Christian apologetic writings. So this was written in 125 AD. This is old, old, just after the apostles. And it's a letter to someone called, if I can say it right, Dionetus. So the letter to Dionetus, it's about someone saying to this man, about the mystery of this new people, the character of Christianity. They call themselves Christians. And it's almost like it comes across as a strange character of the Christian, someone from the twisted and crooked generation, someone on the outside, trying to understand what is the Christian character. Let me read this for you. For Christians cannot be distinguished from the rest of human race by country or language or customs. Three saying they live within the, the people. They're not distinguished outwardly. You can't go into London and say, he's a Christian, he's a Christian, he's a Christian by what they wear. They appear. They cannot be distinguished by the rest of human race. They live in Greek and barbarian cities alike. They follow the customs of the country and the clothing and the food, etc., and the daily living. They live in their own countries, but only as aliens. They have a share in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign land is their fatherland, and yet for them, every fatherland is a foreign land. This guy's trying to understand. These Christian people, they marry like everyone else and they beget children, but they do not cast out their offspring. They share their board with one another, their homes, but not their marriage bed. It is true that they are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, but in their own lives, they go far beyond what the laws require. They love all men, and by all men are persecuted. They are unknown, and still they are condemned. They are put to death, and yet they are brought to life. They are poor, and yet they make many rich. They are completely destitute. And yet they enjoy complete abundance. They are dishonored and in their very dishonor are glorified. They are defamed and are vindicated. They are reviled and yet they bless. When they are affronted, yet they still pay respect. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. Undergoing punishment, they rejoice because they are brought to life. They are treated by the Jews as foreigners and enemies and are hunted down by the Greeks. And all the time, those who hate them find it impossible to justify their enmity towards them. This, this man is looking at these people and going, who are these people? He's thinking the characteristics of them. He's, he's, 
is they're grappling with them. What has been worked within their hearts? And we know it is the salvation that Christ has given them. And their obedience to follow the example that Christ has left for them. I just found that quite encouraging. That the character of the Christian was there right from the beginning. And so may it continue to be with each of us. I pray these would be thoughts that we be blessed and encouraging to us. We'll, con we'll conclude by singing to you.